Welcome to episode 5 of the Charity Leaders Podcast. I am, as always, James from 33%. And for the past five weeks, we've been speaking to inspirational leaders from charities, social enterprises, and not-for-profits about the business of running a charity. This week, I was lucky enough to sit down with Anthony Impey, MBE, a man that might have started out in the commercial world, but his passion for helping people led him to create his own social enterprise when he saw that action was needed. He's now the CEO of Be The Business, where he helps SMEs drive change and grow. He's going to talk all about the importance of marketing to generate interest and how, as a leader, you should always be looking at yourself to see how you can improve first. It's this sort of dedication to improve and to help others that had him awarded the MBE for services to apprentices. It's a really inspirational conversation. and I absolutely know you're going to enjoy it. So without further ado, here's my chat with Anthony. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me to be here, James. I'm really, really looking forward to having a having a chat with you about business and charities and, and not-for-profits and how they all work together. I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's been a really, really interesting conversation. Yeah, really looking forward to it. So first of all, uh, tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you become a leader for, of uh, not-for-profits? Um, so, so sort of, I came. I, my journey kind of starts in the in the for profit world. I um, I started my first uh, business when I was at school, selling stationery out of my uh, school locker, uh, and went on from there to start uh, a number of businesses uh, in the telecoms and technology space. Uh, one of the businesses was called Touchbase Network, which supplied telecom services to small businesses. Uh, another called Optimity provided uh, a pioneering wireless internet service to businesses in London. Um, uh, but my career has always kind of revolved around for-profit, um, for-profit entities up until um, uh, a point where I was growing, in fact, I was growing Optimity and I was really struggling to uh, recruit talent into uh, the organisation. And um, I discovered that uh, you know, I wasn't alone. My business, my business was based in East London, where there was lots of technology businesses kind of springing up, lots of employment, lots of businesses in exactly the same place that I was in, not being able to recruit the talent they needed. And um, at the same time, we were sort of in an area where actually there was quite high levels of youth unemployment. So to to try to kind of kind of you know fix these two two challenges because one fixes uh, the other. I started my first uh, social enterprise to help offer local young people in East London uh, their sort of their, their first step on their career ladder, their sort of to jumpstart jump start their career in, in technology. And so started my first um, social enterprise then in order to fix a very specific uh, problem. And, and since then, um, my career has, um, uh, involved both working for for-profit businesses and not-for-profit businesses. I have been a, a trustee for um, a nursing charity called the Foundation of Nursing Studies, which is a, a small charity uh, based in London, supporting nurses uh, and the nursing profession across the UK. Uh, I, I've also sat, um, sat, in fact, still am a trustee for an organisation called Heart of the City, which helps businesses. Uh, become more purposeful and to do you know to to be more active uh, members of the communities in which they operate and then um, most recently I was uh, appointed as chief executive of 
Be The Business, uh, which as you said, is, is a charity that's been set up to support small and medium-sized businesses to help them uh, drive their productivity. Um, and um, very, very exciting journey that we're on, especially at this time when you know, so many small businesses have, you know, are really struggling in the face of, of the pandemic. And, and whether those businesses are for profit or not for profit, the pandemic has sort of really knocked the wind down to so many uh, businesses. And we've, we've been set up as an organization to help support those businesses, help them get back on their feet after the pandemic and, and really help them look at uh, how, they can, how they can boost their productivity. Amazing. I mean, I love, I love hearing that story about you starting a, a stationary business at school as well, because I actually, we have that in common. Uh, I found oh, some bits of old stationery that my dad's office and my dad's work was getting rid of loads of old things they didn't need anymore and realised that I reckon they could probably get people to buy these at the school and uh, yeah. I got in trouble actually in the end I don't know if you were if you got away with it for long but uh, it certainly wasn't long before I was uh, told not to sell uh, sell stationery anymore yeah yeah and, that, and I think it's that you know how do you you know how do you create opportunities and identifying those opportunities where where maybe other people haven't see, seen them and so uh, I think I also got into to trouble, James, um, on, on multiple occurrences for my entrepreneurial exploits at school. Um, but but it's served me well. It's been a great foundation for for uh, my career that I've had. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And it was uh, am I right in thinking it was your it was the services to apprenticeships that led to your getting the MBE in 2018? Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. So um, very. Um, very unexpected, very honoured to, to receive, uh, receive the MB, as you say, in um, 2018 uh, New Year's Honours. Amazing, amazing. I think, that's, I think that's really, really a fantastic, fantastic journey. So tell me a bit about Be The Business. What makes Be The Business special? Well, so, so we were set up with a very, in, in response to a very specific problem. And, and the problem is this, that the UK's productivity is pretty bad. And um, uh, when you look at our performance in the G7 um, uh, countries, we, we're kind of right down there at the bottom of the G7. And so as a result, it takes a UK worker five days, what it takes an American, German or French worker, um, what it takes them to do in four days. So, so as a country, we don't do particularly well on productivity. And that's quite frustrating because actually within the UK, you have some of the world's most productive businesses and some real sort of industrial leaders um, uh, in, in the UK. But at the same time, we have this very, very long tail of um, businesses, particularly small businesses that are underproductive, that uh, are not um, producing uh, as much as they could do. Um, and, and, and we've been set up really to address that challenge, to help those smaller businesses improve their performance and increase their productivity. It's a charity that was started uh, four years ago uh, by Sir Charlie Mayfield, uh, former chair of uh, John Lewis Partnership. And um, Charlie uh, came together with a um, group of senior business leaders from across, um, from across the UK and from every aspect of the economy. Uh, and they came together with, with, um, with an aim to um, look at how, the biz how businesses could support one another in order to address this challenge around productivity. So the organization has been going for um, four years. We are um, funded by both um, government and by big business. Um, and this, this, you know, the underlying principle of the organization is um, how can we deliver the support um, for business by business? So we're not a government uh, institution. 
Um, but we're actually taking the very best of British business and using that as the basis for learning for businesses across the economy so that the, the um, so that we can kind of raise, uh, raise the tide and, and, and help all businesses become more productive as a result of sharing this back, best practice across the economy. So, so sort of that's the, the background of the organisation. Uh, and, and I started in role uh, October last year. So I'm a, a lockdown CEO, which I think has special kudos uh, in the world of uh, CEOs, um, which in itself was hugely challenging, you know, in terms of uh, starting to lead an organisation when, uh, in fact, you don't get to meet anybody face to face for uh, the best part of six months. And so I started six months ago with real, you know, real focus on how can we um, increase our reach as an organisation and help serve, serve more small businesses. And, and, you know, as I said at the beginning, you know, I think this is, this is more important than ever before, partly because, you know, so many small businesses have been so badly impacted by the pandemic, but also because small businesses play such a crucial part in local communities in every corner of the country. And so helping those small businesses get back on their feet isn't just a sort of a, a way to kind of boost, you know, economic performance, although that definitely is a, is a benefit, but it is also about kind of making sure that, you know, those, those crucial building blocks in our, in our local communities get through the next, the next few years and, and recover and continue to add value to the communities in which they operate to continue to employ local people and continue to develop skills in, in the local communities. All those things are very, very important. And, and I think very often it's easy to forget how important small businesses are in, you know, in the communities in which they operate. And so you know, what, we do, what we're doing at Be The Business is especially important at this point in time. Yeah, yeah, it's never, I mean, never been more important, really, for you know, for those small businesses that have struggled. We're going to talk a lot about um, the past sort of year or so, but I'm just, I wanted to touch on something you mentioned there before about um, this idea of productivity, and I think that sometimes we as business owners or you know, small business owners, any kind of entrepreneur, they wear this kind of work the amount of work they do is a bit of a badge of honor working seven days a week working all kinds yeah. of hours and it's this idea that that's not that people think that's being productive but it just it just isn't being productive it, it's so it's so the wrong way around what do you think is that's caused that that culture among uh, among workers or business leaders yeah i mean you know having worked with small businesses throughout my career you know and when i was in the tech sector, it, it was almost always supplying services to small businesses. Now I'm helping small businesses get better at using things like technology. And, and time and time again, I am always struck by how hard small business leaders work. In fact, you know, a, a leader of a small, a leader of any, any small organization, I think is, 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 is amongst the hardest working people in, in, in the UK. I, I see business leaders across the board, you know, putting in the hours, you know, as, as if they're working in, well, as if they're working in Goldman Sachs, for example. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an unbelievable level of commitment small business leaders, leaders have. And, and I, I think very often that does kind of cause issues with, with productivity because, you know, I speak to a lot of business leaders and, and very often, um, you know, they say they just have, they have no spare time. You know, they're working six, seven days a week. They're putting in 12 hour days and they just don't have time to step away from 
you know, all the activity that they are, they are involved in, in order to think about how their business needs to change or maybe to respond to kind of, you know, external um, conditions. And, and, you know, I, I have to say, I, you know, one thing that I have seen amongst many small business leaders and very, uh, amongst leaders of small organizations, I think everything that I say applies to small charity leaders as much as it does to small business leaders is, you know, I, I think in the last 12, 18 months, we've seen businesses and business leaders really start to change how they operate and actually take that time to step back and say, if I continue doing what I'm doing at the moment, it, it, is, it is not going to, it's not going to deliver the results. You know, the world has changed. And as an organization, we must change or we're not going to make it through, um, you know, whatever uncertain times they've had. So, you know, what I am utterly impressed by is how so many small businesses have responded to the challenges, have changed their business model, introduced new products, reached out to new new customers. You know, there's, there has been a, a, a real change amongst smaller organizations and how they respond to to uh, you know these um, big challenges that that businesses face, and and so I think there's you know that is that is certainly one of the positives that I think has come out of this is that small business leaders that in the past have just been too busy to do anything, have actually been forced to step back, and that that necessity that the pandemic has created has meant that businesses, business leaders, and, and leaders of small organisations have had to had to think about what they do and and start to do things differently. And, and I think that will have a positive impact and it will mean that um, businesses become more productive as a result. Mm. Yeah, I mean, one of the other leaders that I spoke to earlier, they they described this past year and even it had been it had been terrible for their organization, but they still described it as an opportunity, as a as a as a chance for change. And that is, I think that's I've seen so many so many businesses, both for profit and non profit, that have taken this and said, okay, let's have a week where we all feel terrible, uh, and then get up. And let's see what we can do differently. And it's forced so much innovation and so many people have done things that they wouldn't otherwise have done because they were too busy or they didn't have a chance to or they make excuses for not doing these things. And, and yeah, it's seen, it's seen amazing, amazing people doing amazing things. We, we did a survey. Um, we did a survey early in, in, um, in sort of lockdown and sort of restrictions on movement um, last year. And we found that um, in the first three months of lockdown, there was three years worth of innovation and adoption of technology by, by small, small businesses uh, and smaller organizations. So, I mean, that is, you know, that by itself is an indication of the scale of change that so many businesses and organizations have. Now, you know, I, I, at the same time, I appreciate that there's some organizations that just have not been able to change, that actually they've been impacted in ways that it's actually not possible to reinvent your business model. And, and I'm not pretend, pretending for one moment that, um, you know, this is this has been easy for any small business leader, and I know that for many leaders of small organisations, this has been, you know, emotionally, if nothing else, hugely challenging time. Because, you know, as a leader of, of any organisation, you feel real responsibility for for your organisation, for you know the people that benefit from what you do, from from your employees. You feel you know huge responsibility. And I, and I think that's, you know, that's had a huge impact on, on leaders and a huge emotional burden has kind of been put on the, sh the shoulders of, of many leaders of small organisations. So, 
not for one moment am I saying, oh, you know, pandemic is, you know, it's a good thing because it's driven all this innovation. But I, but I think it, it, it um, at the same time, I think it has made um, leaders of organizations think differently and maybe, you know, think about how their organization can work better. Just the, you know, the fact that we can all work from home, I think is, you know, so many organizations have said, actually, you know, our organization works better if we're, if we're working from home. And, and actually people are start starting, you know, describing how they've got kind of a healthier balance between working and kind of living. You know, we did, again, sort of a different piece of research we did. In fact, this year we looked at um, a four day working week and we found, and I, I'm absolutely staggered by these results. We found one in five organizations are considering moving to a four day week. Now, I don't think that that's gonna mean that 20% of all organizations, you know, sort of down tools on a Friday or Thursday evening and, and won't return until Monday. I don't think that's gonna happen for one moment, but I think it is an indication of the kind of changes that small business, small business leaders and leaders of small organizations are thinking about how they can um, reinvent their organization, create a healthier balance. And, and, and again, as a result, I think it, it helps really, really address this productivity issue so that, so that you know, small, leaders of small organizations don't feel overwhelmed by you know, running their organizations. Yeah, no, I think it definitely has created that, that sense of thinking a bit more about personal well-being as well, hasn't it? I think that, you know, it is for any size organization, for a small business, but it's the same for, you know, a business of, you know, an organization of your size, you know, as a, as a leader yourself, it can be, it's a pretty lonely process running, running an yeah. organization. You're at the top, you've got, you know, you might have a board and other people, but you're still, you're the only one person doing the thing that you do. Yeah. And yeah. That, I mean, you, you know, what, what we've said, we, we run a, um, we run a, a very successful mentoring program, which um, uh, brings together leaders, senior leaders in big businesses and you know, successful, um, successful British companies and um, connects them with leaders of small organizations. And, and those organizations can be for-profit, they can be charities, they can be not-for-profit organizations. Uh, and that process of bringing together those very, very different types of leaders and getting one to mentor the other um, is hugely beneficial, and it addresses exactly that um, that that sense of loneliness and and immense responsibility that I think lots of leaders of small organisations face. Interestingly, also the, the leaders of the big organisations say it's hugely beneficial for them because they get to understand a very very different type, uh, very different type of business, very often a different sector in a different part of the country. But, but that kind of two-way learning, I think, is very valuable. But it really goes, you know, it kind of addresses this issue of, you know, the, the, you know, the emotional burden of running a business. But also, you know, just being able to talk to someone and share your thoughts and, and test your ideas with someone else. I, you know, I, I, I can't recommend it enough. In fact, you know, all the way through my career, I have always you know, relied very heavily on superb mentors that, that I've had the opportunity to, to work with. And in fact, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, the mistakes that I've made during my career have always been when I haven't had a mentor <laughs> there as a, as a sounding board. So I, I, can't, I can't recommend that whole process of mentoring uh, highly enough. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. So although you've only been, uh, you've only been there since October, how has the past sort of year and a half been for Be The Business as a whole? 
Well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's enormously uh, busy for us. And, you know, they, they, the scale of, scale of the productivity challenge in the UK um, is, is huge. You know, the, the challenges created by the pandemic kind of just add a, add a whole new dimension to that. So, so we have been uh, very busy. But, you know, our, our core focus is essentially on, on two key areas. And, and they're two key areas that we know has a real impact on those people that use our services. So the first of those areas is how do we encourage uh, more organizations, more small organizations to adopt more technology? Because we know that adopting technology and using technology successfully in a business can help that uh, business perform better and drive their productivity. So, so that's uh, one, of our, uh, one, of, one of two key areas that we focus on. And the second area is uh, one uh, where we boost uh, where, where we focus on the leadership and management capabilities of small businesses. Again, an area where we know there is proven evidence that if you can help improve the leadership and management of an organization, you can help uh, improve its performance and productivity. And we do that through um, a range of different um, products and services that we deliver, including mentoring that I've mentioned. We have um, a lot of online resources, um, such as a, a resource called uh, Be The Business Digital, which just helps walk people through the different, um, different types of technology and how they can uh, implement it in their, their business. Uh, we have a, a, a new product called Advisory Boards, which is essentially a, a non-executive uh, advisory group that helps mentor uh, a, a, an organization rather than an individual. Um, and we have a, um, a, a sort of a, a, a um, flagship product called Productivity Through People, which is essentially a, a mini MBA program for small business leaders that, again, is really focused on this transfer of knowledge from the best of British business into, into the leadership of small, small organisations. And so across the board, we're, we're working across this range of products and services to help support small businesses across, across the country. It's one of those situations where it's, you know, as you say, it's never been needed more and people need support and, and people are willing, seem more willing to ask for support and ask for help, which at some point I think was a bit of a like, oh, no, people don't like asking for help. But actually people uh, seem, seem much more willing to go out and seek advice and, and learn from other people. Exactly. Exactly. I think there's definitely, you know, the pandemic has caused us all to think very differently about what we do and how we do it. And, and so, you know, making sure that, that we're there to support those businesses at their time of need is, is, is what we've been focusing on you know, throughout, throughout, the, through, throughout the pandemic, but it's been a, a central theme of what I've been working on over the nearly nine months. Can't believe it's, it's nine months, but almost nine months. One of the things that we talk a lot about um, when we're talking to charity leaders is about the, the business of running a charity and, and things like <laughs> things that often make charities sort of squirm a little bit when we talk about them, which is things like sales, marketing, competition, customers, these kind of words that, you know, we, we're all very, very comfortable talking about in the commercial, in the for-profit world. But somehow when we're talking to not-for-profits, they feel a little bit start to feel a bit icky uh, talking about that sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. in terms of competition, uh, who, who are you competing with for your, um, for your share of your audience? Yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting what you say about, you know, those, those prints, you know, those areas of a business and how they sometimes map uncomfortably to the, to the charity world. And, and I suppose, um, 
I've, I've, I've never had to, I've never had to struggle with that kind of conflict because I've, I've, I've come over from the profit, for profit sector in order to apply exactly that knowledge in a, in a not-for-profit environment. So, um, you know, that, that, that kind of, that, that language, that terminology sits very comfortably with, with how I operate and, and how I think any good organization needs to, needs to think about how they're structured. So, so I, think, I think that's, first and foremost, I think it is, it is, it is very important to get comfortable with that that language in any organization. And it doesn't mean that you have to become a for-profit organization the moment you start thinking about sales and marketing and operations and customers and using that kind of technology. It's, it's, not, a, it's, it's not a push towards commercialization, but it is recognizing that whatever your organization does and whether it is um, reinvesting all its profits in order to drive its its overarching um, purpose or charitable objectives, or in fact, it's driving a profit in order to, uh, driving a surplus in order to uh, benefit shareholders. Whatever you're, whatever you're doing, that principle of creating a sustainable organization, I think is front and center of every, lead, it should be front and center of what every, every leader thinks about. Um, so, so, so I think it's very important to use that terminology. I think when, when I think about competitors, um, I, I always love looking at competitors because you can learn so much from what your competition is doing. And, um, you know, I, you know I, I encourage all my teams and, and the team at Be The Business is no exception, is, you know, really think quite broadly about your, your competitors because it's not only the people that are selling stuff that looks a little bit like you, and it's not the people that are serving the same beneficiaries that we might be serving, but it's, it can be a much broader group of um, uh, companies that, that you can think of as your competitors who are, who are competing for um, your sponsors, uh, sort of co corporate social responsibility budgets, or their marketing budgets. Uh, it might be um, organizations that uh, uh, deliver services to your beneficiaries in a slightly different way. But I think understanding that competitor landscape in detail is really, really important to, um, to make sure that your organization is positioned in such a place that you've got a sustainable model that sits behind what you do. Because um, without that, without that kind of distinction between what you do versus somebody else, then it's very, very difficult, whether you are a beneficiary or a, or a potential sponsor to know why they should sponsor you versus somebody else. And so, so understanding competition and understanding where you're different, I think is at the heart of any good organization, but it's crucially important when you're, when you're in the ultra competitive space of operating, operating um, charities, because um, and it's ultra competitive because um, the money that is available to invest in charitable causes, whether it's be the business at one end of the spectrum or any one of a number of other charities, you know, there's a huge spectrum of charities and not for profits, but, but the money that's available is less than the, uh, the, amount of, the amount of demand for that money, the number of companies that need that funding. And so it is a fiercely competitive marketplace. And so 
being able to distinguish yourself from the next from the next organization that is that is um, bidding for for those charitable funds that are available is is so crucial and and you know i think is very often the difference between a uh, an organization that is sustainable in the long term versus one that 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 isn't sustainable uh, even after a very short period of time so so you know i i think you know studying your competitors knowing what what your position is relative to competitors is one of the most important activities that you can be involved in and the other thing is the other thing i just i mean i think the other exciting thing about studying your competitors is um, you can learn from all the things that they do wrong, you know, and I, and I, and I love that because, because they're, they're like, they're, they're paying for mistakes that you don't need to make. So study your competitors, you know, know their websites, understand their proposition, understand where they sit in the market relative to you and, and you know, and, and make sure that, the, you, you know, you've got, you've got some, you're, you're in what I would describe as clean air. You know, you, don't, you know, dirty areas where, you know, lots of people are doing very, very similar things. And it's very, very difficult to distinguish between you and the next person. Clean air is where they're in, in very, very simple terms. You can say why you are so different from anybody else in the market. Yeah. And that's that's such a such an important point about the competition. There's two there's two really important things I think you, you raised in there that are worth highlighting that that idea of your competition as a much broader concept. This isn't just about. It's not just about the other people that fund organizations like yours or other businesses that are like that. It's all the other things that are competing for that budget, for that spend, for that sponsorship. It's, you know, of which there are a great deal. And the other thing is the value of, you know, of, of looking at competi the competition. But I guess it's also about being so confident in what you do that you don't get distracted by your competition because that can be a real, that can be a real risk for some people. When you look at your competition, you go, oh, they're doing that. Maybe we should be doing that. Or, oh, they're doing that. Maybe we should be doing that. And it can create, it can really, you know, it can really di distract people if you haven't got a clear strategy in place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you're right. I, 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 and I think the thing is, is that, that is easier said than done because, because it's kind of, a, it's a fine balance between knowing your competitors and learning from them and studying competitors and overreacting to what they do and, and how they do it. And, and you know, I, I think of, uh, you know, experience in, in the, in the for-profit world that, that I was in um, previously. And um, we, were, we were running a business uh, and really, really, a, a really sort of clear competitive um, advantage around a particular product that we were selling. And then a big company came in and kind of offered something that was nearly identical. And, um, you know, the, the initial reaction would be, well, you know, there's no way we can compete. You know, we were, you know, we were a business that was turning over, I don't know, six or seven million pounds. Here was a, you know, billion dollar business backed by you know a multi-billionaire and you know and you know and and you know there's kind of that sense of terror that there's no way that you can you can distinguish yourself but but very often you know that that you know and, and that particular instance we kind of you know I, I looked at it and thought okay well you know they're a they're a big giant of a business with unlimited resources but we have the advantage of being smaller and more agile so let's let's make this a true David and Goliath Fight. because in a David Goliath in a David and Goliath fight everybody wants to back David yeah. so so you know you know don't you know you're, you're right you know don't let 
your 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 you know your um, that study of the competition distracts you from you know your core mission and what you know is what what, what you know is right so so um, yeah i know i completely agree with what you've just said yeah, so true so true that you know it's that the underdog advantage that's what most small business have got haven't they everyone wants you to win so you've yeah. just got to just got to go for it yeah. really embrace that that underdog exactly. advantage what other give me some examples of some other things that came from the for-profit world that you think have been really valuable in running a not-for-profit organization um so um i think it is um i think th- i think there is a piece around really understanding your customers I- and actually you know I- I've, t- I've just talked about understanding your competition but, but far more important than that is, is, is around understanding your customers and having a really, you know, really understanding the problems that they are encountering and how you can help them fix, fix those problems. Um, and the better you know your customer, the better you can perform as, a, as an organization because you can always be highly responsive to what that customer wants. You can anticipate the things that that customer wants because you get to know them so so well. Now, I think um, in the in the not for profit and charity work world, you know, this concept of customer start, starts becoming quite difficult because certainly I have been in trusting meetings of charities I have been involved with and and try to introduce this notion of of customers and and it is a really uncomfortable conversation to have because people don't like to think of their beneficiaries as customers and I, and I get that and I understand why that's uncomfortable because cu- customer has this you know you, you know you you almost think well you know a customer is somebody we have to charge something um charge them something and we have to make some sort of profit we have to make a profit from them and therefore we're exploiting the people that we're trying to trying to benefit and I think that's a misunderstanding of what what a customer is you know a customer is somebody that uh, where there's a, a value exchange where actually you you pass value to that to that um, that individual or that organisation or whatever it might be, but it's a transfer of value, and that transfer of value can only happen if if what you're offering is of valuable to the person you're transferring it to, and, and so. So to be able to, to be able to know whether it's a value or not, you've you've got to get you've got to understand that person or, or organization in the context of a customer. And the better that you can understand that, the better you can deliver real value to that, that um, person or individual, that you can, you can make it easy for that organization to do, to do or that individual to do, uh, to, to get that value exchange. You know, I think, you know, a bit of a trick question for any, um, any leader of any organization is, you know, what is, what is your single highest priority as an organization? And, um, you know, in the full profit world, it's, you know, people say, well, it's about, you know, return, return on it, uh, return on investment for shareholders. In the charity world, it might be, you know, reaching more beneficiaries. And, and I would challenge both of those, those approaches, because I would say that the number one priority is to make it easy for your customers to, to extract value from you. And in, and in business, you know, I tra- change that to make it easy for your customers to buy stuff from you. But in the charity world, it might be make it easy for your beneficiaries, beneficiaries to access your services. And it's that, that making things easy, reducing friction 
in, in the value exchange process that I think is so, so important. And, and I think in the for-profit space, that's well understood. And, and, and maybe not applied as rigorously in the, um, in the charity and not-for-profit sector. And so when, when I look in the for-profit world, you know, a great example, I think, is Amazon. And you know, Amazon make it unbelievably easy to access their services, and and you know I, I, I'm a big reader, as you can see. And and if you were to if you were to uh, recommend a book title on I know CEOs in the not for profit space, within within, a, within two or three clicks, that book could arrive at my doorstep tomorrow. And and a very complex transaction of you know uh, me ordering a book, the order going to a warehouse, that book making its way from the warehouse to my front door. Is achieved in two or three clicks. So, so in the for-profit world, the the process of making things easy for your customers is well understood, and the technology businesses, you know, that that's their that's their primary focus. I think in the in the um, in the not-for-profit sector and the charity sector, I think you know applying that same principle is really really important. How do you make it easy for your beneficiaries to access your services, and how can you make that? As, as frictionless as possible. And, and I think that's, you know, applying that as an example, I think is really, really important. Certainly in, in the work that I'm doing, I think lots of, lots of um, uh, organizations in, in, the, in the not-for-profit and charity sector could, could really benefit from, you know, making that objective the core of what they do. I think it's something you said before, it's so, so important. And it leads me on to my next conversation a bit about marketing. But when I first started in marketing, my my boss said to me, and it's something that is, I've kind of built my whole entire career on, really, which is marketing is not rocket science. All you have to do is think like a customer. And think like a customer is it's written on the wall it's you know it's been there throughout my whole entire career because that's all that's all it is marketing is just getting in the head of your customer and, and and giving them what they need you know for a price that's right if price is important in a timely fashion and that's so true in the in the not-for-profit sector it's not as you say it's a value exchange it isn't about money it's not profit necessarily but it is still they're giving time they're giving donations they're giving you know a part of their attention if nothing else and that is something that people are giving and it, and it is an exchange and you have to you have to think about it in a in a sort of commercial way. Yeah. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it's a commercial way that you've described. I think it's a it's a way of an organization operating, and it just so happens that the commercial sector does it a bit more than the than the charity not-for-profit sector. But but I think it's just a way hmm. of operating. And, and so you know, and I and I really uh, you know I, I really you know at the core of one, I think that that's that's really important is that that a great organization can be a for profit organization and equally a not for profit organization. You know, the, a great organization can be either or sometimes it's sometimes it can be sometimes it can be both. But uh, but I, I think a great organization employs these principles either side of the other either side of the dividing line. So, so I just want to I, I think that's such an important um, kind of part of my thinking is, you know, I don't think, oh, well, you know, I'm now in a for-profit organisation, so therefore I need to employ a different set of principles and skills. I think, you know, those core principles of what makes a good organisation is the same, regardless of, of how, you, how you invest your surpluses, either invest your surpluses as a return to your shareholders or in, reinvest your surplus 
so that your beneficiaries can can access more services. I I don't I don't see any distinction between. Yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree. And there's something you said actually. I think you said it before we started recording. But this idea that actually, if you're a commercial business and you are uh, very commercial, very aggressive, very for profit, and you make that well known, people won't want to buy from you anyway. People want you know they want ethical business. They want to do business with people that they get on with charity or otherwise it, it, yeah as you say it's it's largely irrelevant in that point of view yeah i mean I, th- I think that's you know coming back to you know what what makes me me I, you know i i am a very firm believer that the the morgan friedman um economic theory of um shareholder benefit morgan friedman I, i'm sure you're sure you aware you know uh, developed this this uh, economic um, kind of school of thought that said the sole fo- focus of a business is to maximise return for shareholders, and I don't subscribe to that that school of thought. And I never have, even when I was, you know, in the for-profit sector, because I think a great business is one that that looks after all its stakeholders and that's a good employer, is a good member of the communities in which it operates, and looks after its shareholders. And I, and and I think that. When you when you run a business on that basis, the interesting thing is, is that you deliver much greater returns to your shareholders than if you were just focused on delivering value to, to shareholders. And I think that is that is a trend that is beginning to gain momentum. And I think more and more people want to deal with organisations with with a really with real purpose and a real sense of where they sit in the in the communities in which they operate and the environment in which they operate. And I think this, I think that notion of share, um, shareholder maximization, I think is, is going to start kind of losing its credibility when people realize that actually, you know, you can have a, you can be a business with really clear purpose and actually you're, you're a better, you're in better investment for, for everybody if that's, if that's what you're setting out to do. One of the other things we talked about before was, um, this, you know, another another thing that sometimes makes uh, not-for-profits squirm a little bit. We've talked about competitors and customers, but then we get to the dreaded words sales and marketing. These are things that a lot of people find quite uncomfortable to talk about. Where do, where does the concept of sales and marketing sit within be the business? Um, so, so I, I mean, you're right. You know, I think sales and marketing is kind of one of those uncomfortable terms. I think even even you know in in. In, in the in the private sector in the for profit world, you know, sometimes people feel a bit uncomfortable, particularly with the sales word. You know, oh, yeah. feels terribly, one, terribly unprofessional. Exactly, and, and yet, um, you know, every organisation is you know has a has a need to generate interest in what they do and convert that interest into some sort of activity, and and that conversion process is. It's much easier to call it sales than it is a conversion process into some sort of activity, and um, so so I think there's a you know there's there's a piece around just getting comfortable with these terms you know and by calling you know that that process of um, you know offering something offering something of value to someone that then someone chooses to invest in and just calling that sales. There's, there's, you know, there's just an acceptance that, that that is a very efficient way to describe that that process. I think the other thing about you know w- once you say okay, well, that process is probably our sales process. The moment you can recognise it as a sales process, you can then start doing the kind of things that improve how how you sell stuff and how you market stuff. And, and you know, I think um, 
you know, at the core of that is having a really clear understanding of your, what your value proposition is. Because coming back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, there's this, there's a value transaction that any organization, every organization, whether it's for profit or not for profit or charity, there is, there is a value transaction that, that is at the core of that. And, and for somebody to, to uh, I don't know, agree to, you know, provide some sponsorship, for example, that there's got to be a return, return, uh, uh, return for that for that investment, and that return might be, um, you know, having their name associated with the charity. It might be that they get some services back from the charity. You know, a lot, I know a lot of not-for-profits um, deliver consultancy services as a as a way of generating income. But there's got to be that clear. There's got to be that clear value proposition. So that, so that you can you can position what you do in the market through through marketing and then and then sell that service or that product to to potential sponsors um, so that so that you can build a, a sustainable organization I think that's the you know, that's the number one challenge for any um, any charitable endeavor whether it's a, a formal charity or a social enterprise it's you know what what's the sustainable model you know how do how do I um, how do I live as an organization beyond my immediate grant income? And, and, and I think that, you know, the answer to that question is you've got to build a sales and marketing engine that helps drive that sustainability. And, and you know, that sales and marketing engine might be, you know, how can we, um, how can we generate more grant income so that we're not dependent on a single funder who, you know, have only agreed to fund us for the next you know, three years or 12 months, whatever the period is. Uh, so, so it might be around, you know, just, you know, building that grant application funding, which by the way, I, I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of, because as I said earlier, you know, there are many more charities seeking a lot more money than, you know, all the grant funding that's available out there. So, you know, do it if you've got something that is distinct from, from the market, but I'm, I would, you know, it's, it's a little bit too much like a lottery for me uh, to be to be comfortable. And, and you know, if the mission is to be sustainable, you need something more. And and, and you know, coming back to the question around sales and marketing, I think having that clarity on what it is that you are, what what it is that you have that is valuable that other people would attach a value to, and knowing how to position it in the market and communicating that and being confident in in getting people to to invest in that proposition, I think that, you know, that's the heart of what every, every organization be, should be focused on. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's called sales and marketing and there, there has to be an acceptance that that's just, it's just a function of an organization. So, so, so I'm, you know, I understand this, I understand it's an uncomfortable term, but I think accepting it and leaning into it, I think is very important because it's the root of sustainability that I think every 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 organisation works to, but I think is is you know at the heart of the challenge that so many um, charity CEOs face, particularly smaller charities. And it's, I think that's the, one of the reasons why I feel so passionate about helping charities to do their marketing because if they don't, they aren't getting in front of the people. The people that uh, ultimately they're trying to help are the you know are the beneficiaries, the people that they're going to get in front of. And if they don't market themselves, then they won't be sustainable, yeah. as you as you rightly say. And now I think the good news is, the good news is, is that um, while there are many more charities seeking a lot more money than there is available, 
I don't think there is, there is that many charities that are nailing the sales and marketing piece. And so, so I think there is real benefit of understanding how sales and marketing can help your particular organization. Because just doing that and, and you know, having that, um, that kind of that, uh, I, I suppose, professional approach, professionalizing that sales and marketing endeavors of your organization, regardless of the size of your organization, but professionalizing that sales and marketing part of your organization, I think distinguishes a handful of charities from this mass of organizations that's chasing, chasing what is a relatively small amount of money. So I think, you know, today it, it's, it's so important for charities to do that because I think it, it, it is the route, it's a relatively easy route, I think, to, to sustainability. I mean, there's been an absolutely huge number of really, really great tips, bits of advice in here. And anybody listening to this, I would absolutely encourage you. I'm going to go back. I'm going to listen to it again with a notepad and make a note of everything that we've gone through because there's been absolutely loads in there. But before we go, I'm going to ask for your your three tips to help smaller charities. But to be honest, I suspect they're going to apply if you're a commercial business as well. Um, so what would you, what advice would you give to anybody, especially if they've struggled over the course of the last year or so? Well, I mean, three tips, that's going to be really difficult. I think you've, give, you've given us about 25, I think, at least already. But if you think of three <laughs> new ones. Really look at digital and look at how digital can help drive your, your strategy. I think digital is, digital is a great equaliser. Uh, and what I mean by that is a very small organisation can compete with a business that is hundreds of thousands of times bigger than it because because actually the tools that are available to small businesses are very, very similar to the ones that big, big businesses use. And, and the great thing is that so many of those tools are available um, free of charge. You don't have to have lots of, uh, you know, tech experience to use, you know, lots, you know, there's lots of no code software platforms that you can, you, you can build essentially your own technology with a very, very limited knowledge of, of you know, digital interfaces. But, but to use technology as a way to, to level the playing field, I think is, is, is really, really important. Um, and, and, and as part of that, you know, make sure that you're using social media, make sure that you're using all the tools. You know, lots and lots of the software businesses have discounts for not-for-profits and social enterprises. Some give away their sof software free of charge. Um, so, so, so that would be my first thing, look at digital, and look at digital as to how it can add value to how you, you operate. And, and coming back to my earlier point, how, how digital can make it easy for your customers and beneficiaries to access the services that, that you offer. So digital would be my um, first one. I think the second would be, you know, look at, um, Look at your look at leadership and management in your organization and, and start with yourself as a as a leader and look at maybe you know how you can you know improve improve your professional skills and, and I, I don't mean for a second that charity leaders somehow you know lack the leadership leadership and management skills that um, small businesses in the in the private sector. I, I just mean that when you're when you're a small business leader. Um, very often, there's not that chance to develop your, your professional skills. Um, 
and, and sometimes you know that process of developing your professional skills and your professional leadership skills um, can can help kind of reduce the loneliness of being a leader but but it can also help you kind of just get that distance from that you know that six days a week 12 hours a day that you're putting in and just get a little bit of distance to make sure that you're heading in the right direction and so I think there is a there's a really really important piece around you know developing leadership and management skills and you know I mentioned mentoring earlier as a as a potential way to do that you know it's it, it's superb I I you know, have had a number of mentors. I have a fantastic mentor um, now, but try to find yourself a mentor. Um, if, if you're looking for one, um, uh, if, if you're looking for one uh, and you, you, you don't have one within your own network, if you look at the Be The Business resources, we've got a, a fantastic uh, program that can connect you with a mentor. So, so I think that's my second. So my first is digital, my second is leadership and management. And then I think the, the final one is, um, just around um, kind of uh, what, what I would describe as enduring conviction. And I think these are, these are tough times. These are tough times for lots of organizations. Uh, and I would just encourage every, everybody listening to this, um, and I hope we still have one or two people listening uh, after, after, um, after, you know, they haven't grown bored of my voice. But, but I think that the, the principle of enduring conviction is really important when you're, when you're a leader, because it is tough. It, it, is, it, is, you know, it is tough anyway when you're running a small organization. And the last, uh, last 18 months have been the toughest in living memory. And, and, and you know, I would encourage everybody to, you know, stick at, stick at what you're doing, you know, you, you know, do not give up because it's tough, because it's tough for everyone. Everyone has had a tough time. It's, it's, it's going to continue to be tough. I, I, you know, I really, you know, I, I'd love to say, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, we're going to return, you know, we're going to have the roaring 20s and everything's, everything's going to be, it's going to be tough for, for a bit, but have enduring conviction in what you're doing and the direction of travel. I think it will, you know, it, it will um, deliver, you will get fulfillment from what you're doing. And, and it's tough and everybody's finding it's tough, but, but stay on track. Fantastic. I mean, that, that is you know, a, a quite an inspiring point. I, and and I, I know people are going to get a huge amount of uh, value and hopefully feel inspired you know, from, from a lot of those things that you've, you know, you've talked about today. So before we go, how can people connect with Be The Business? You mentioned about the mentoring programme. I know you've got, there's, there's a huge number of other programmes, ways to get involved, a massive amount of resources on the Be The Business website. I would encourage anybody listening to this to go and check it out because there's, there's so much great stuff in there. But how, how can people get more involved? Um, so so uh, Be The Business website, bethebusiness.com, go there, as you say, tons of resource there from um, resources that can help you um, buy the best technology for your organization, help benchmark your organization. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a tool on there that can help you understand your style of leadership. So loads of resource there. Um, so please, please look, look there. And then, you know, please, if, if anybody wants to reach out to me and ask me any specific questions, please reach out to me. Uh, probably best over LinkedIn. I'm more than happy to sort of answer questions uh, over LinkedIn. 
Well, look, again, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat to us today. I think there's been, a, you know, I'm sure everyone will agree, a huge amount of really, really valuable uh, valuable content in there. And, and I'm certainly going to go back and have a have a listen and take a few notes as well, because I think there's a lot to, there's a lot that us in the, uh, the for-profit uh, area can learn from a lot of the things that you've just been talking about. So again, thank you Brilliant. so much. Thank you, James. Really, really appreciate it. Well, there we have it. That's episode five of the Charity Leaders podcast in the books. Uh, thanks again to Anthony for uh, joining us and having that really honest and really, really fascinating conversation. It's really, I really hope a lot of people got a lot and a lot of value out of that. Uh, if you'd like to know more, as always, check out Be The Business. All the links are going to be in the show notes. There's, there's so much great, great stuff there. So I really encourage you to go and check it all out. Uh, and likewise, if you'd like to know a bit more about us and what we do, at 33%, you can head on over to 33%.co.uk slash charities and you can check out all of the information about what we do, how we help charities and there's even some great resources on there that you can also download. Next week, we'll be back with Mike Ward. He's the leader of KM Charity Team and he's going to talk a lot more about charities, how it is to run a charity and some of the challenges that they've been facing during the past year and a half. Uh, I hope you'll join us next week. We'll look forward to seeing you then.